1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 198 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed on this show are my own and not my present or past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to or a result in my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So before we get started, I want to remind our listeners that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, Analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news. Go to the cybersecurity hub at cshub.com. That's the cybersecurity hub at cshub.com. So we got a great show for you this evening. We got someone who is a very, very prevalent and well-known cybersecurity expert. Mr. Chuck Brooks is gonna be with us. Uh, reading his introduction is gonna be a lot of fun. So, Chuck is the president of Brooks Consulting International. And is a globally recognized thought leader and subject matter expert in cybersecurity and emerging technologies. LinkedIn named Chuck as one of the top five tech people to follow on LinkedIn. He was named as one of the world's 10 best cybersecurity and technology experts by Best Rated, as a top 50 global influencer in risk and compliance by Thomson Reuters. Best in the, in the World in Security by CISO uh, Platform, and the IFSEC as the number two global cybersecurity influencer. Now, he was featured in the 2020 and 2021 Analytica Who's and Who in Cybersecurity as one of the top influencers for cybersecurity issues and in risk management. He was also named one of the top five executives to follow on cybersecurity by Executive Mosaic and as a top leader in cybersecurity and emerging technologies by Thinkers 360. He's also a cybersecurity expert for the network at The Washington Post. He's a visiting editor at Homeland Security Today. He's an expert for Executive Mosaic GovCon and a contributor to Forbes. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Mr. Chuck Brooks. Chuck, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Oh, Thank you. It's a pleasure to be back. Hey, I'm glad to have you on. Uh, It's been a while. It's been way too long, by the way. Uh, We need to have you on more often. I was sitting there uh, reading a Forbes article that you just recently wrote about the alarming cybersecurity stats uh, for 2021. And I was like, you know what? I got to call Chuck. We got to get him on the show. (laughs) So uh, look, I I saw the article. I know you wrote one in the beginning of the year. And this was a follow-up article to what you originally wrote. And it talks about really what's going on in the cybersecurity world. And I think the first one was written on the backdrop of this uh, high-profile cybersecurity attacks like SolarWinds and the Colonial Pipeline. And this one uh, basically says, hey, look, you know, things have gotten a little worse. Uh, There's some good things in there, there's some bad things in there, but I want to start out with the good things. The good thing is that you think that Americans seem to be waking up to the need for better cybersecurity. So I'd like to hear your opinion about that.
2: Yeah, sure. I I think it's a, it's a, a slow a wake-up call. Right, I mean, right. I think it's, it's it, the fact is that, you know, people sit uh, usually in behind their offices and their IT shops, and, and it's their business, and they don't worry about it. But I think one of the things that really transformed the, the landscape is when people started having to do remote work from home, and all of a sudden, they're doing their personal and their business on the same computer, and then, and then uh, they may get hacked, or there may be malware or ransomware or something that pops up. And then they're alarmed by it. And plus, I think the fact that, you know, we've had these really, going back to what you said, those very high-profile attacks with uh, solar winds and Plano Pipeline and then a whole series of ransomware attacks that hit uh, critical infrastructure from state and local governments to, uh, you know, to power plants to uh, you know, just about everything they're aiming at. So uh, I think it's a, it's a whole new world and people are realizing, you know, uh, with this with this transformation to the digital world from the physical world, mostly, that we've been living in and the COVID era, that it's it's going to be more and more connectivity, uh, greater uh, threats on the landscape of that connectivity, and we better do something about it. So I think it's a wake-up call. Americans are paying more attention, but they're probably still not paying not enough attention to it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Do you think Americans are paying enough attention to it to pressure their representatives to actually do something about it? Um, you know, is there pressure on some of the elected <laughs> officials to, you know, move forward with more cybersecurity uh, uh, initiatives?
2: I, I think there is from industry for sure. Uh, you've seen a lot uh, of input recently. Uh, also, in this last uh, legislative session, there were more cybersecurity uh, bills that came out of the House and, and, and now going to the Senate, uh, where I think they're, they're on the same, same uh, wavelength now. I think it's, it's being seen as more of a bipartisan issue and an issue that everyone can unite about. And uh, the fact is that we're, you know, we're recognizing now where, you know, we've got all these legacy systems, government's certainly not immune, Then uh, there's too much at stake uh, not to do anything. And I think there's a big learning curve in Congress. You know, uh, most of the people have no concept of what cybersecurity is, let alone what new technology is. So uh, I think there's, uh, you know, uh, the younger generations and uh, a lot of the, the, like I said, the industry and corporations now, are being forced to look at this from a C-suite level, and I think that's uh, sort of permeating down to the to the grassroots into in us in Congress.
1: No, it's really interesting because when you think about some of the you know top risks to our national security, you know, cybersecurity, you know, certainly comes into that conversation, whether it's you know one, two, three, or whatever. But you would think that because cybersecurity is always in the conversation that's Congress would need pressure from the constituents to actually do something about it. Not to say that all of them aren't doing anything about it. Not to say that, you know, it hasn't been, you know, uh, spoken about on the floor. Um, And there are some things going on, but I don't, I'm not sure it's where it should be. What do you think?
2: It's not where it should be, but there's, there's other reasons for that too. I think obviously the, you know, the agendas for one of of the parties and the new, new administration, um, you know, take, uh, Take precedent over whatever happens with cybersecurity. The second second part is is that uh, yeah, it's not like a constituent issue where you can measure and say okay I'm going to be bringing this amount of money or bacon back to my district. So congressmen and and women and and you know, senators uh, tend to look at uh, things first is that you know it's it's my reelection and and what could I do to help my mm. constituents and their companies. But I think now that some of these whole pro- high profile you know uh, breaches have happened, particularly the Colonial Pipeline, where it affects the whole East Coast and, and supply chain. Uh, they had to look at it and they say, oh, my God, yeah, this, this is costing us Our gas prices are going up. You know, people are feeling it. So I think it's really, you know, that uh, people start to understand that it has implications when Congress acts. <coughs> Excuse
1: me. Yeah, no problem. So I think, you know, that's interesting because there's a lot of competing priorities, I guess, everywhere, and uh, Congress is no different. So when you, think about, uh, when you think about the pressure, though, right? You talk about the number of data breaches in 2021 have soared past that of 2020, and that's a little bit more bad news, uh, and you reference it in your article. Tell me about this. Tell me about what we're looking at in terms of data breaches, and what does it mean? What does it mean to companies and what, what they should do?
2: You know, um, it means that they should have at least uh, uh, organized and have a strategy to, to make sure they're not breached. Which most of them have not done yet, um, you know, including Colonial Pipeline, including uh, Solar Winds back then, uh, even the large companies. So um, it, it does mean that that you know that despite all the, the procurement of a lot of cybersecurity technologies and stuff, there's still there's still issues out there. And the fact is, it's really not ever not, not industry's fault. There's just so many targets. The more connectivity we have, the more targets. And if you look what hackers are doing, they're really going after a mostly low hanging fruit. They're hitting. A lot of healthcare facilities and hospitals that don't have much security, and they know that they're overburdened with uh, all kinds of uh, issues with with COVID and other things. So they're going to pay if they get hit, hit with ransomware, and uh, they have for the most part. And uh, also now that I think another big change in the last couple of years is because of cryptocurrencies uh, that the hackers can get paid. They can they can exfiltrate data, hold it hostage, and then demand you know get paid in Bitcoin or prepaid cards and that are difficult to trace and difficult for, for law enforcement to pursue. So I think that that alone has, has increased the number of breaches. But I also think that, you know, it's it's easy now uh, for organized gang- gangs out there, criminal gangs, that they, they share the tools on the dark web, they know what works, and they, they're now automating a lot of their attacks, particularly phishing attacks. So, you know, you may be just in, you're just picked as one of the million companies or individuals that, that uh, get sent the same message and, and click on it. So it's a, it's, a, it's a matter of numbers and that means more breaches. So uh, you know that's that's the issue right now. and, and the, the remedy is obviously we have to just be a, aware of the situation, the awareness, and look at you know the basic things that we need to do, which is still you know don't click on the fish, you know change your passwords, have multi-factor authentication, you know basic cyber hygiene and, and most people still don't don't enforce those those basic principles.
1: So a ton of questions I had, right? So, first of all, the fact that a lot of organizations, especially large companies, don't have a common strategy, a cybersecurity strategy to protect their firm, to protect their technology. In today's world, that's shocking to me. It's shocking to me. What is the disconnect in these companies? Like, what, what is what is the problem? Does it come down from the board? Is it not? There's no prioritization. How about the chief risk officer? What comes What comes into the play there? How come these companies don't have a strategy for their cybersecurity program? Yeah, you
2: know, I, I think they're late to the game, and I think that it's also based on their their former, you know, uh, models of operations where they looked at revenues and they looked at cybersecurity or any security as a, as a cost part of the cost instead of looking at it as part of your, you know, uh, your reputation, uh, your your surety of, of being in, in operations if you attacked, your resilience, etc. You know, so uh, And that comes mostly from a lack of understanding of the C-suite, the leaders of people who have no background in cybersecurity. And then combine that with the fact that there's so few people that really have a cybersecurity expertise out there. And and uh, there's a lot of companies competing for those people and, and a lot of governments competing for those good people. So those those confluence of, of, of uh, factors... Make it difficult, you know, but again, I think this is sort of changing. I mean, there's a lot now being written about, you know, what they need to do. There's more programs now to train employees. Uh, And I think some, at least some executives are looking at at the fact that, you know, cybersecurity, you know, particularly for a small or medium business, if they get hit with a breach, they're going to be out of business. You know, most cases. Yeah, the impact is huge, right?
1: It's huge. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah, right. I mean,
0: I you know, think, it, I, do you see that there's a trend at least yeah. for
1: some companies to put at least one member of the board that, that on, on the board that has, you know, some experience in computer science or, in, you know, information security, some experience whatsoever? I see that there's some trend towards that, but I don't know if there has enough momentum at this point. Uh, I think
2: we need to push on it. You know, for anyone concerned with cybersecurity, I think there, there needs to be more of that. And it, it affects every industry from law firms, accounting into retail, there's, there's no one that's immune for it. So it, it makes sense to have that kind of expertise. And also most people involved in cybersecurity are, have backgrounds in security also. So I think you, you get a twofer, you know, chief risk officer, like you're saying. So you have to look at, at things, particularly in the new world we live in, you know, because um, you, you, so much is dependent upon the flow of communication and having resilience if if you neglect uh, cybersecurity or security, I mean, you might as well not be in business nowadays. You know, you're just right. gonna you're gonna be in a situation. I mean, some of the some of them rely on the government, but you know, you can't rely on the government for everything.
1: You think cybersecurity is becoming too expensive for some companies to function?
2: I, I think some elements are, and I think a part of the problem is they can't discern what, what they really need. You know, a lot of companies will buy a lot of products and tools, and, yeah. and they don't know how to orchestrate them, and yeah. then, then there's no one inside that that knows you know, the person that maybe that. The purchases them leads so no one else you know so they're sitting there mm. so I think you know it it's it can be expensive but there are plenty of remedies you know basic encryption you know is not expensive uh, you know separation of your data and segmenting is not expensive and, and strong passwords and multi-factor authentication can be done. I mean yeah, it depends yeah. by the level you need you know there's plenty of companies that obviously get bring the right expertise and should bring the right expertise if, if they they're they are going to be under attack particularly critical infrastructure or healthcare or finance you know but those those are different situations, I think, and they should spend the money.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I feel like it, it takes a network to beat a network, <laughs> you know, and some of these companies who can't afford, you know, the intelligence, maybe understanding, you know, best, you know, best practices, putting strategies together, you know, if they got together in these consortiums and these groups, they can help each other, you know, build a better defense and death posture against, you know, the bad guys. Um, you talk about cyber hygiene. And you can just Google cyber hygiene and find like twelve things that you should pay attention to on the internet. It's not difficult, right? It's not difficult, and you can you can you can look at that and say, okay, here's some basic cyber hygiene things that I should pay attention to. Do an assessment, go through some hardening, and then do some monitoring. I mean, why why is that so difficult for companies to do?
2: I don't know. It's not even just that. I mean, Mist, which is is so you know, prevalent in their industry expertise, uh, specifically for whatever industry that maybe apply to, uh, that stuff's all free and they can go to
1: those websites. It's, and online, it. it's online. Right there. You just go it's there, online. It's online. Yeah. It's laid out, laid out for two? you. I mean,
2: they're all they're all there readily accessible and you're right. They, they speak in plain English. You can go as technical as you want. You know, I, it's either a laziness or just it's, it's not my business kind of thing, but I, I don't know why. I mean, the, the, like I said, the first basic thing in cybersecurity is just having a strategy and a framework you know, what you need to do and knowing what you need to know what's in your inventory, know what you're connected to. And then, you know, doing a penetration test, like I said, I mean, that's basic for any business, I would think, you know, yet, um, how many businesses really do that? You know, it's, it's, it's frightening. You know, I think so. I think, I think they're forced to do it after they get breached,
1: but then then it's too late. Yeah. Right. And no, you know, that's, well, that's what happens a lot of times, not only in cybersecurity, but in in so many aspects of life until something happens, nothing really gets done. And, you know, look, Knowing what's on your network, we know from some of the most recent high profile breaches. this is really, really important, and this plays into you know this this is probably a material risk for a lot of different companies. They don't know what's on their network. If you don't even know what's there, how can you patch it? right? How can you know where your vulnerabilities are? And it becomes a big problem. do you think that the uh, do you think that you know the asset management programs of some of these companies? Uh, are, 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 are lacking <laughs> for a better, you know, for a better word. I mean, what do you think they should be doing right now?
2: Yeah, I, I think they're lacking. And you know, you know, and if you're doing if you, what's in your inventory and what you're connected to is, is really also a business decision and operations too, because some of these things may be, you know, costly. Of course, you know, you have to look now also at espionage, you know, either competing companies or more likely uh, foreign countries trying to get your data. Uh, so I think it's it's really neglectful for them not to have at least a basic inventory within the system. They can bring in a managed service provider and do it for them. Um, they can bring in their internal expertise, whatever they do. But there's there's plenty of tools out there to do it. And and the fact that they're not doing it in the the manner they should, or in, in the, you know, it, it's 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 really uh, you know disconcerting for me at least.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really big problem, and I think it's it's prevalent. It's, it, this is a huge problem in a lot of companies. Um, they don't understand what's on th- their network. You're right, though. There's a lot of tools out there. There's a lot of tools out there uh, that uh, even, even you know, will identify the IoT tools on your network um, and help you um, identify things you didn't even know were there. But you talk, about, yeah. you talk yeah. about in this article, too. You, uh, you say that the, the firm Cybersecurity Ventures estimates that ransomware cost and expected to reach about $265 billion dollars by 2031 that's that's a big number bro. 265 billion what's up with that
2: yeah well i mean i mean criminals go where the money is right and you know i think of the famous saying that you know i asked for that bank robber you know why he robbed the banks because of the money art and that's the same thing now with ransomware because they can get it you know like i said earlier they could uh, you know they could get paid and then get away with it and there's very little global prosecution I mean, there's some, but it's, it's not anywhere near enough. Plus a lot of these uh, sort of loosely affiliated criminal gangs are also sponsored by uh, governments or have relationship with governments, which makes it even more difficult to, to catch them or enforce it if you catch them. So I think, you know, ransomware is, it's been around forever. You know, it's been two decades at least, uh, but you know, it's, it's just, it's just easy to get paid now. So they're going to use it as long as they can keep going. And uh, you know, that's, you know, the same defenses we use against other, you know, malware it could be used against uh, ransomware. And certainly phishing is still the number one prevalent way of, of them getting in. So uh, it really goes, again, back to the, the basic cyber hygiene and understanding what you need to to segment. Because I, I still can understand why a lot of these companies didn't have their their basic, you know, sensitive information uh, encrypted or, or segmented or backed up, which is still, you know, just it's it amazing to this day that that they don't put the effort in doing that.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting, obviously, the, the biggest defense against, you know, ransomware, once you're hit with it, is that the fact that you have a backup uh, that you can recover from bare metal, that you can, you know, have those critical systems, you know, backed up in a certain amount of time, you know, how long does it take you to get those systems back up and running, and that it's segmented from the rest of your network, so that can be encrypted too, and uh, then you're really in trouble, right? So, but there's a whole bunch of things, you know, think about ransomware and the whole cybersecurity lifecycle whether it's, you know, prevention, detection, response, recovery, the whole thing, where, where are you mitigating uh, 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 some of these threats in your network, you know? Um, do you think most companies have a ransomware playbook that they can actually go to if they're hit with ransomware and lay out the critical decisions that need to be made in a very timely manner, who's going to make them, when they're going to make them, and how it's going to be done? You see that uh, I-
2: I have not seen much of that. I've seen some talk about it, Um, but it's certainly uh, reactive and it's not proactive right now. And, uh, you know, I think if we're we're looking at any type of, uh, you know, we're talking about CMMC and CMMC and and DOD, and we're looking at other uh, requirements to do business in government, I think that should be uh, included. (laughs) You know, you have to have a ransomware uh, plan of attack because, you know, anyone could get get, uh, phished or anyone could get breached. You, know, you can still have great uh, technology and people but it still can happen so if you don't have a resilience plan or a backup plan like you said right the right people involved and in how to deal with it um, you're gonna be in trouble and and I don't understand again why there's not enough urgency uh, among corporate America to, to look into these at least you know basic things that are available mostly you know like you said from a Google you know you, you can do basic things and and yet you know, again, I think that they're not prioritizing the right enough cybersecurity uh, in their in their uh, basic
1: operations. What do you think about companies that are paying the ransom? Do you have an well, opinion you know on
2: <laughs> I'm against generally paying because you know you encourage them and and often they found out that you know they'll they'll still still use it against you and still you know, you know, you're dealing with criminals or don't necessarily keep their word, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I can understand uh, situations, particularly if you're a hospital and you have liability issues and you have patients
1: sure.
2: that may be at risk and you just can't go through all that. Uh, there are now, uh, I know, professional ransom negotiators out there um, in government, obviously with Colonial Pipeline got involved too. So um, it's not really a black and white issue, even though I'm opposed to it, you know, a pain, because I, I just think it's just bad to, the more you appease them, the more they're going to do it. But I can understand circumstances because nothing, nothing is is uh, the same, you know, for everyone.
1: So agree. So, so the U.S. Treasury said that it's had tied 5.2 billion dollars in Bitcoin transactions to ransomware payments, and that's a lot of payments. So you think companies just say, "Hey, look, I'm going to take the risk, and if I get hit with ransomware, I'm just going to, you know, I'll I'll look at paying." I mean, is that what's going on here? It's almost like you know, you know I'm, I know, I, I say
2: that's that's part of it, but I think a lot of them are still unaware. You know, I think that's why I wrote these things. People just don't realize the, the prevalence.
1: <laughs> you know, it's well, maybe you and I live in this world, right? Maybe yeah, we live in
2: this world and we breathe <laughs> it, we see it all
1: the time. Right, right. You know, but
2: now, you know, and you read about it too in, 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 in every publication, but it's sort of oh, another breach kind of thing. But you know, it if they just don't pay enough attention to it. Um, I think that's going to, they say, well, it's someone else. It's not going to be me, uh, but it will be them eventually. <laughs> I mean, if they're, if they're a, a target with money that they has have, they have financial uh, capabilities to pay, they're going to be a target at some point. And so, they, they, even if they're a small or medium business, so I, I think they, they have no, no choice but to actually have this as part of their cybersecurity strategy you know, and framework to how to, pro- to react and, and have resilience, at least against a where something does happen. And, and again, like you said, we, we were talking about some of the things you could do, you know, to protect yourself up front, but, you know, just assume you're going to get hacked and, and have some plan, you know, that, to, to deal with it. And again, I, I think it, we're, we're sort of you know, preaching to the choir here, but, you know, there's just not enough out there that I think that people are, are doing it, or at least are slow to do it, um, to, to really pr- to get themselves be proactive rather than reactive.
1: So lastly, for this segment, I just want to talk real quick about the supply chain because I think that's the scariest piece for a lot of companies, you know, to have someone, you know, breach their their corporation through the supply chain to be on their network for a long time before they're discovered uh, to do a lot of damage, to do, uh, I mean, to steal who knows how much information, right? You say that uh, a new study uh, says by cybersecurity company BlueVoyant shows that the supply chain is a, a magnet for cybersecurity breaches and that a whopping 97% of firms have been impacted by a cybersecurity breach in their supply chain. So 97%, pretty much everybody, right? And then, 93, everybody. Yeah, then 93% admitted that they've suffered a direct cybersecurity breach because of a weakness in their supply chain. And as such, the supply chain attacks rose by 42% in the first quarter of 2021. This is huge. It's impacted up to 7 million people. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a huge impact, right? So what do we do about this? What, what say you?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, cyber criminals aren't dumb. They're still going to go with the easiest mm-hmm. means of, of entry and supply chains are, are just inherently vulnerable because you're dealing with a group or groups of different companies and people who may have access to the same networks and software programming. And uh, it's not uh, uniformly checked. So you have uh, one third party, all it takes, and they get in the network. And I think we found this out, uh, at least the DOD found it out a few years ago, and so did DHS, and, and they created a, a couple programs immediately to, to deal with this issue, because it was, it's obviously being exploited by, by foreign adversaries, but also now, predominantly, like, uh, as the economic stats show by, by cyber criminals. And, uh, you know, they're going to go with the easiest way in. So I think you really need to, to follow uh, uh, a zero trust kind of approach, you know, that you're going to deal with. Uh, if you're going to have someone in your supply chain, uh, you can't trust anything or anything they give you at first. So you might have to have the right uh, firewalls in place. You may have to, to check their uh, have their code uh, you know, looked at for the uh, penetration vulnerabilities. Uh, you may have to set your own requirements depending on what industry you're in. And there are also tools available for that. You may need to manage an outside server to do all that, but uh, there's things you can do. And, uh, you know, I think obviously it's just really vetting, making sure that, you know, and, and, and as you said, they may not even know. Uh, in fact, probably they don't know. It's not just, just uh, you know, bad stuff put in by hackers. There's misconfigurations in code that can cause havoc. So I think it's within the interest of every company dealing with the supply chain to develop a strategy um, again, go to the internet. There's plenty of them out there. Go to NIST too. I mean, there's a, there's a whole uh, there's volumes of information on what to do and how to do for your industry. But the main thing is know your who, who you're working with in, in your supply chain and get together with them and, and establish um, uh, basic standards and norms and and do it together. You know, because otherwise uh, it's going to continue to happen.
1: So hey, folks, we're going to pause for a few minutes for some words from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest. The president of Brooks Consulting International, Mr. Chuck Brooks. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
3: In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management.
4: As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Cynet. and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Cynet, S-I-N-E-T.
0: You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George
1: Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest. The president of Brooks Consulting International, Mr. Chuck Brooks. So, Chuck, you know, we were talking about uh, during the break, we were talking about some of the AI uh, applications that have recently uh, emerged in cybersecurity. And historically, in some of the conferences over the last couple of years, you know, AI has been all the rage. Uh, They've been talking about AI and cybersecurity uh, pretty prevalently throughout uh, all the conferences. And, And there's been almost every segment. Uh, there's been some talk of how uh, uh, AI is impacting cybersecurity, but now you say there's a few applications that have some real uh, uh, opportunity uh, in terms of you know, cybersecurity. So I'd like you to talk about them a little bit. Can you tell me a little bit about, uh, about what you think is the first big AI opportunity in cyber?
2: Yeah, well, I, I think there's several, actually. I mean, and you got, you're right, uh, artificial intelligence has sort of been a rage there actually has been a lot of money invested also uh, by government and by industry, you know, in the multi-billions. So there's something there, but I think you have to upfront define the fact that, you know, there are elements of artificial intelligence, such as machine learning, which we've had for a while, but is, is really being further developed in the algorithms. And that's primarily what I'm talking about right now. Uh, we've developed artificial intelligence capabilities now that can identify anomalies and, uh, so this really enhances the ability for for security operations centers or anyone in an IT shop to basically, you know, recognize threats and, and ameliorate them, and and then also it applies to the the data analytics, the the diagnostics, and the forensics even of where it happens. So we're using these algorithms that are primarily machine learning, but moving more and more towards a a greater capability for the machine to actually uh, figure out context itself to do stuff. And uh, so I think when you're looking at uh, also this and automation, uh, automation of some of the lower end stuff, because we, we talked earlier that we have a, a dearth of qualified cybersecurity professionals out there, the ability, ability to automate some of these, these tasks that cyber professionals would do, um, you know, particularly in threat detection. And then actually in, in the reporting part of it too, right. because part of the, the, the role of any cybersecurity analyst is to be able to do reports and, and what, Machine learning and artificial intelligence does best, I think, is gives the preparation for this report. And you can do it quicker, faster, and more comprehensively. So in those areas, I think we're making quick inroads. We're not at a, a sentient level yet where, where artificial intelligence can control all our security and determine what's, what's valid, what's not valid. But it really is a tool, and it's becoming more of a useful tool as our technology evolves.
1: So you think this first application of AI is really in GSOC's? You know, in, in in the SOC, right? The SOC is the is the domain in information security that's responsible for threat detection. All right, so uh, is that yeah. where the first application is?
2: Yeah, I think so, and, and, and it's it is helpful because the volume and the amount of data out there coming through is, it's, crazy. You know, it's 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 crazy. I mean, yeah. Two hundred zettabytes of data by twenty twenty five. So I mean, there's a lot of data out there, and it's too difficult for to do it manually. So basically it's, it's almost like robotic process automation used in in other areas but it's yeah. not that that technology but it's it's really it's really augmenting the role of the the analyst to detect and, and and see what anomalies are real and what what is just you know uh flack so uh you know that that's a big that's a big tool uh you know I think so it's very helpful you know and again it goes back also into the the data analytics part of it afterwards so you know the first part certainly discovery
1: yeah it's interesting you know the first when you think about the first applications of RPO in information security, because uh, you hear about it all the time, other you know businesses and the LOBs are using it all the time to, you know, to strengthen their their businesses and and you know minimize expenses. Um, so it's very interesting. Um, what what do you think about some of these socks who have uh, uh, you know they have a lot of alerts firing? Uh, they're you know they're on top of things in terms of making sure that. They're monitoring what they're supposed to be monitoring. They have the alerts in place, but they never seem to find anything. Like, is this going to help with that? Is this going to help with that that whole situation where, well, you know, the question comes down from the board. Well, how come you haven't found any? I used to have a boss who used to tell me all the time with our insider threat program. (laughs) When are you going to put somebody in cuffs? I don't (laughs) care about all this stuff that you're giving me. You give me all these metrics. When are you going to find somebody doing something really bad, you know? And so is this going to help? whether it's, you know, monitoring for anomalous behavior and insider threat or or just, you know, on the network itself uh, for external threats, is this going to help with that?
2: Yeah, I think it will in several ways. One I think is, is you know, the real-time threat intelligence. You'll be linked into hopefully into deba- databases where there's known threats or, or perceived threats and you'll be able to get that data and share it uh, by whoever's ever providing, hopefully a good guy, um, you know, right away to use. So your, your system will be able to, to analyze it and pull it and match it, look for patterns, et cetera. And certainly with insider threat, you know, you're really looking at behavior. And so um, anomalies of behavior are are easy to detect, you know, when uh, they're done uh, through automation. So I think, uh, you know, otherwise, an analyst would spend, you know, all of his hours looking at, you know, who's doing what and how and and thinking about it. So at least you can flag the right um, misbehavior. So I think those two areas uh, certainly will have Impact. But I think, uh, you know, and, and also the fact is that the, the amount of, uh, of malware and threat and, uh, uh, c- coming online all the time, you know, to, to be able to, to react quickly, you have to have access to those databases and you have to be able to synthesize those databases quickly. And I think that's where artificial intelligence will play a, a significant role.
1: So the second, uh, the second piece of this was incident diagnosis and response. And while descriptive analytics provided by network surveillance and threat detection tools can answer the question of what happened, incident diagnosis analytics address the question of why and how it happens is what you said. So let's talk about that a little bit.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, again, it's like a heuristic tool because you could look at what happened. You could, you could check all of the logs. Uh, you could look at uh, patterns. Um, they could be matched. You could be given If you're an analyst, they could be a, uh, I'll give you certain scenarios that have been used before and how they've been used. So you're able to, to basically take all this data information and at least have uh, uh, basically ways of analyzing it quicker uh, or matching it uh, to to maybe what you see as, as a threat. So while it's not perfect, it certainly it augments the capability of an analyst. And particularly, again, when I say when there's, there's so few capable analysts out there because there's so few of them to begin with. So, right, uh, um, right. you know, you have, when you have this data be able uh, to present it to you in different ways and different formulations of what you can program and what you need, um, you know, it's certainly gonna be helpful.
1: Yeah, so now we're talking about a whole different part of the cybersecurity ecosystem in terms of the response. And you know, the response is key. I think, that's, I think that's where CISOs earn their money. Don't you think? This is where they earn their money. Every, everybody's gonna have a bad day you know, it's just that's that's the way our applications, the Internet are built, um, that it's going to be a challenge to protect your network, your applications, your infrastructure uh, all the time. And you're always going to have a bad day. But are you prepared for that bad, bad day? What kind of tools and processes do you have in place? Do you have the right people in the right places? You know, this is where they earn their money. And I think, you know, if you have a bad response, that's when you kind of see um in in the news, you know the things go sour. So this is probably the biggest impact of AI. Do you think do you think that's true, or do you have a different opinion?
2: No, I, I 100% agree. Uh, you know, again, you could you could uh, take a lot of different case histories out there and how how what's worked and what has not worked, and then and integrate it into your plan. Uh, but I think you know uh, resilience is is you know integral to any cybersecurity plan. And, uh, you know, knowing what, what's out there and be able to develop a, a resilient strategy, again, goes back to knowing what's in your networks. And, of course, that's also another thing that uh, AI can do is, is help you see what's in your networks. So uh, uh, all those, are again, are tools. And, and, and the more tools you have that can have you have visibility, uh, be able to, to react faster, and then use it for analytics uh, later on or, or even real time if you need to. Um, are going to certainly have a huge impact. And again, you know, like you said, there's too much too much vulnerability out there, and, and, and too too much likelihood that somewhere something is going to go wrong, the third party, insider threat, or someone, you know, just you know, any executive could could hook on a fish. So uh, uh, I think you know that this makes sense. To really, to 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 look at if you're going into a cybersecurity strategy, look at okay, I, I nothing's impenetrable. I'm going to get hacked probably. but What do I do? And again, that's a combination of technologies that you could use to help augment things, but also just by basic training and having a strategy and organization in place and doing, uh, you know, gaming with your employees, all those kind of things are really important. And again, it starts with C-suite.
1: So let's talk about the, the third one, which probably isn't last, but maybe is first, right? I always think about cyber threat intelligence as being the tip of the spear and that all, 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 all uh, information security departments really should be intelligence-led, right? And I'm a big preacher of this intelligence threat, threat-focused constant learning model, right? So how can AI help us right now in threat intelligence?
2: Well, certainly it's, it's able, first as like I said earlier, to discern a lot of the anomalies. So at least it can show you where they are. Uh, second of all, it can be used to synthesize a lot of the data that's already out there from other cases, whether it being supplied, uh, you know, by the government or industry sources. So you know who the threat actors are, you can identify and follow their trends. Um, and then you can apply predictive an- analytics. You know, if, if you see what they're doing and how they're doing it, whether they're doing automated phishing, uh, of whether they're, uh, you know, how they're, you know, basically even doing physical planting of, you know, Raspberry pies, etc. And you know, you, you at least would know what's in, in the data and, and call attention to it. Could flag it to you. So again, it goes. It really goes into being again a, a really good tool to augment your capabilities. Just like anything else, you know, intelligence has, uh, you know, has to be interpreted. But if you can uh, get all through the all the data itself uh, quicker, and and be able to use the use cases, uh, in, in a more uh, practical way, um, and and in a, you know resilient way, um, you're going to be better off as a company or as or as an agency or an organization. So, and I think really you know you you hit it on the nail when you said threat intelligence is everything because you know the threats morph, they change, they go through stuff. The capabilities are are sometimes uh, you know stolen tools on the internet and and other things and. And you just have to, you know, be ready for anything that comes out of it. And so, uh, there's there's no such thing as being static in cybersecurity. You really have to be always looking
1: at the next step. All right, man, I really appreciate you coming on the show. We got to get you on some panels, and, and maybe even be a if I can convince you to be a co-host once in a while. Sure, I'd be happy to. Oh, I'd love that. I'd love that. That'd be great. That'd be great. So, man, I appreciate you. Okay, folks, it's time to go. But before we do, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there.